That was a fantastic summary of where Jesus is with the disciples. It is our confidence, our joy, and our peace is rooted in His love, which was so beautifully expressed in His death, His burial and resurrection, and in His ascension. Right? We explored that a little bit last week. We're going to look at that some more this week. I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, as Steve Kester read from verse 16 through 22 a few moments ago, and we will be digging in there and beyond in the moments to follow this morning. It begins with a little phrase. You see that? A little while. A little while. It's 1101. In a little while, some guys are going to be kicking a ball around in a field, and in a little while they might maybe, possibly, score. But they might not. So you're not missing much if you're here this morning. I understand there's the World Cup going on, something like that. A little while. Not much can happen in a little while. But a lot can happen in a little while. A little while confused the disciples during Jesus' discourse. Let's think a little bit about what can happen in a little while. Matt and Liv Vowinkle could find a house. Oh, wait, they did. Praise God. We're thanking God for His provision of a home for Matt and Liv. Yeah, that's right. Let's praise God for that. And in a little while, they will close on it. In a little while, they'll move into it and have that done, right? In a little while, the Cubs could win the World Series. And they did. They did. The Cubs won a World Series. That was amazing. I didn't think it could happen. In a little while, just a short time, maybe a couple hours of a movie, the Marvel superheroes could defeat all the villains in the universe. Or wait, can they? Right? Those of you that haven't seen the most recent one, forget about it. Okay? We'll wait for the sequel. Or we'll just wait to tell somebody. But there's some things that are not normally changed by a little while. And some of us ask questions. Will my kids ever grow up in a little while? But wait. In a moment, you'll realize, oh, in just a little while they grew up. And they moved on. Some of us think of things that aren't normally changed by a little while. Like the losing ways of the Cleveland Browns. The healing of Andrew Luck's shoulder. I don't know. I don't think a little while is going to heal that. I don't know. Congress and its spending ways. That's that's not gotten better. Then serious things. Like the loss of a loved one. A little while. What changes that? The loved one is gone. And we we miss them. We, we, we We don't expect to see them show up back. And wait. That's what's about to happen here. Jesus is about to leave his disciples. And yet he offers up this confusing statement in trying to comfort them. And look at what he says. A little while and you will see me no longer. Verse 16. And again, a little while and you will see me. Jesus has been talking to them about going to the Father. So immediately, that's what they sort of put together. They, they, they say, so some of the disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, because I'm going to the Father. They associate it back to his ascension to go to be with the Father, which you would understand because that's what he's been talking about. So 
it's confusing. How can you not see me and be going to the Father, a very permanent sounding situation, and yet in a little while you'll see me? And some of us immediately begin to think, well, he's talking about coming back, the rapture. He's, that's what he's talking about, or, or his return to earth. It's not what he's talking about. And he sort of unpacks that for us, and we're going we're gonna to look into this a little more deeply. But this a little while was a struggle for them. In seeking to comfort the disciples and to allay their fears, Jesus points to events that are shortly to come in the following days and weeks. I think he refers to the crucifixion and resurrection. He talks about his ascension. And some would say that maybe even refers to the coming Holy Spirit. There's a whole lot packed into these verses that he doesn't necessarily make super clear. Okay? Because some of this, the disciples just have no context. Had he gone ahead and explained, well, okay, so you see, I'm going to die. I'm going to be killed on a cross. And you've seen a cross and you know what that's like. And I'm going to die on a cross and I'm going to rise again in three days. Okay, you got that? That makes sense to you? Okay. Now, after that, and, you know, in a, in a few, few days after that, then I'm going to, you're going to see me arise and, and go into heaven. That makes sense? Okay, good. Um, he doesn't do that. Because they don't have any way to file that in their mind. That would, mind's just blown. So, they don't understand everything he's saying, but it's intended to bring comfort. You see, on the other side of these events, they're going to understand them. On the other side of these events, they'll get it, to some degree. But what they will see is that these events are gateways to intimate relationship with God. And a gateway to a, a joy and a peace that is abiding and lasting and eternal. In the meantime, Jesus shares these things in order to bring them joy. That their joy, as he said, may be full. That their joy may not be taken from them. That they might have peace. And so what we want to do today is to look at these verses and to understand how it is that they can be joy-giving, that they can provide peace. Because I think all of us would agree, we could use a little joy. There are days when we could use just a little bit joy. Even the most joyful among us could use a little more joy because of the struggles of life. You look around this audience and you can see that there are a lot of people that have had a lot of struggles. A lot of people are going through a lot of stuff. And it's tough to go through those things and maintain joy, but it is possible. And I think what we see today, we can, we can find help for that. It's tough to have peace in the midst of tribulation, trials, and turmoil. But it is possible. It is possible. I think what Jesus shares can really help us understand that. But listen to this again. Jesus says in verse 20, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will, will turn to joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. So Jesus comforted his disciples with the fact that they will see him again. Though weeping and lamenting lay in their future, and they had no idea what that really meant. 
But we can certainly seem to understand that he's not referring in this case to the ascension. Because you don't read of them crying and lamenting and weeping when he went into heaven. Do you remember what they did? They got up and where'd they go? They went into Jerusalem. And they waited. Not lamenting and weeping, waiting. They had confidence at that point. Why did they have such confidence? Well, because something else had already happened. They had experienced deep weeping and lamenting over his death. And he died, but he rose again, and so they experienced the joy unspeakable and full of glory because he came through on his promises. And all of a sudden, the pieces clicked in place for these guys. And so, what we find is that, by the, that this is a clear reference to the, cruci- to the crucifixion and resurrection, and it fits. The world would soon rejoice. Jesus was going to be gone. He was going to be off the scene, crucified, and they believed his disciples would scatter, which they did. Another disappointed, leaderless sect in Israel. For the disciples, the cross would change everything. They'd left everything behind to follow Jesus. And now, their master was gone, and all was lost. The hope that they'd had days before, when Jesus entered into Jerusalem victoriously, was to be crushed at the cross. The cross did change everything, though. It didn't change it like that. The cross changed everything. Through the resurrection, they saw that the cross had indeed changed everything they had understood about Jesus in a beautiful way. As the grave gave birth to life, hopelessness on their part, lamenting, weeping, gave birth to hope and to life. And that's the picture Jesus painted, right? He paints a picture of a mom who is, had nine months of this baby growing in her. And, you, and I've heard it, you, oh, I can't wait to have this baby. And I remember when the, the morning, it was like a little after eight o'clock that morning when Clay uh, was born, that we got the word, we need to go to the hospital. Okay? And everybody looking forward to that moment is like, oh, the baby's coming. The baby. And then all of a sudden it's like, the baby's coming. Now, I don't know what a mom feels, okay? I can't speak for a mom. But I would have to think there's even more, a little bit of fear and trepidation in a mom. Like, oh no, what's going to happen? Especially that first one. You've not experienced it. You don't, what in the world? This can't happen. Because I know for me, it was like, whoa, okay, what do we do? Where do we go? What? There's a bit of, it describes it as sorrow. It's not the sorrow like weeping and lamenting, but like, oh man, there's some sorrow in the you know, delivery room. There's tears and there's pain, and unless there's an epidural, and then it's like, hey, this is great. <laughs> okay, I made that sound too easy. I'll get in trouble later. <laughs> it's better, okay? And, and so there, there is that sense of it. But what is the payoff? The payoff is there's a baby. There's a baby. And in those moments when you see that baby, it's like, whoa, tears of sorrow, tears of pain turn into tears of joy. Like, oh my word, that's a baby. That's a human being right there. And all of a sudden, life. And that life just blows you away. And that life blew them away. 
the grave gave birth to life and it was to change everything for them. And all their sorrow and their lamenting all of a sudden was like, hey, that's lasted for the night. But joy came in the morning. And for us, that's where we can find such hope. The immediate impact of the cross for the disciples was sorrow. And often the situations of life, that's their immediate impact. But as we consider the lasting impact of the cross, we find that the lasting impact is joy. Joy unspeakable. You see, the cross made it possible for these men to see Jesus again. Wait, what? The cross? You mean the resurrection? Yes. Because you see, Jesus doesn't separate all these things. Like you and I, we got to go through, okay, all right, here's the cross, and, and then the resurrection, and then the ascension. Jesus looks at this snapshot in history and says, one without the other is not good for you. The cross without the resurrection isn't enough. The resurrection without the cross is not needed. The resurrection without the ascension really doesn't give you the hope of victory that He promises by the end. You see, each one is an individual, distinct event, yet they are a package together. You see, Jesus understood that it was about them knowing Him for all eternity. Isn't that what John says elsewhere when this is eternal life, that you may know Me? That you may know... That's eternity. Eternity with knowing Him is what it's about. If you thought salvation was just your ticket out of hell, you've missed it. Salvation is about Christ. Salvation is about you being apart from Christ in broken relationship with no hope apart from Him to having that peace with God that you might be able to intimately know Jesus Christ for all eternity. He is the greatest treasure, not simply your being spared hell. He is the greatest treasure. And so, for the disciples, the cross would not only bring a moment of weeping, but an eternity of joy. Why? Look at verse 22. It's not just about them seeing Him again. Verse 22 says, So also you have sorrow now. So also, like the lady who's delivering a baby. But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. It's an eternity of joy. What caused the disciples later on to be able to sing in prison? What made them to be able to rejoice when persecuted? Why? Because they knew that their Savior was risen, and not just alive. So what? But that they were known by Him, that they, were, they could know Him and be known by Him, that they could rejoice in the cross. That was what they had hope in. These time, and death, and trials could not separate Him. The cross affirmed that for Him. If the cross couldn't keep Him from Jesus, and Jesus from them, then nothing could. The cross seemed like the ultimate blow against their relationship with God. It struck at the very heart of their hope. And yet, Jesus came through. It's a resurrection message. It's an Easter message in a sense of, of, yes, there's hope beyond the grave. But listen to Galatians 4.9. This is how that Paul puts it. The disciples, they would soon see Jesus. Three days later, they saw Jesus. But the greatest hope 
was that they would see him better than before. And that they would be known by him. Look at Galatians 4.9. It says, but now you have come to know God. Or rather, be known by God. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to become once more? You see, the ultimate joy is not in the disciples seeing Jesus. That was joy. And I mean, my goodness, they rejoiced. They, the disciples, even when they knew he wasn't in the tomb, they ran back to tell the others, he's gone. He's risen. But man, to see him was amazing. But being seen and, and being known by him for all eternity is where true and ultimate joy. The cross affirmed Jesus' ability to keep his promises. It, it, it said, my word is good. If you can be raised from the dead and you say, I'm going to be and, and you are, you can pretty much keep any promise. And he did. He did. And so all those promises that they had been given, it made sense. And that meant that he was able to continue this relationship through time, eternity, and every trial they'd face. So they could sing in prison. They could rejoice when being persecuted. They could rejoice when things didn't go as they had hoped. Therefore, there was nothing that would stand in the way of their joy, their relationship, and our relationship. That's the hope that we have. The joy that this should bring ought to bring joy to our hearts and praise to our lips. That'd be a good thing to do tonight. We ought to have a concert of praise. Just to celebrate the fact that we have a relationship with the eternal creator God. That he wanted us to have that relationship with him and him with us to the degree that he would come break down any wall of separation. Through the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he did that, and then he ascended on high to say, okay, now I did as I said, and now I'm going to rule and reign and bring things to its conclusion, and I'm going to bring mine home with me one day so that we can have just as much confidence in the return of Christ as we do in the resurrection of Christ in the past. That's where we can have confidence. We have communion later this morning. And communion is just that. It's saying, yes, he did this, and therefore we can be confident and we continue to do it until his return because we know he's going to do that. We're as confident in that as we are in this, and therefore we rejoice and we praise. Our hearts ought to be full of joy, and our lips ought to overflow with praise because of this truth. You see, since the cross, joy is not to be a future condition. It's not, you know what, we've got to endure this life. Look around. We've got to endure with these people. And then maybe when we get to heaven, we'll finally have joy. Maybe. If there's not too many of these people there. Man. No. We can have joy now because of the confidence of the assuredness that eternity is coming and of what has already occurred in the past and that a relationship endures through all that. Since the cross, joy is not to be a future condition, but a present and ongoing reality for every believer. But things get in our way. Things distract us from these truths. What gets in the way of your joy? Health, finances, relational struggles. Say, you don't understand how bad it is. I may not, but I think Jesus did. 
Jesus understood when he's, when he's sharing about joy, he's not just speaking hopefully. He wants them to have joy that cannot be taken away. Why? Because everything's going to go well, guys. I'm going to rise from the dead. The church is going to explode. You're going to be happy. You're going to die happy. All's good. No, you're, most of you are going to be martyrs. Most of you are going to be martyrs, but no one's going to take your joy from you. They'll take your life, but they can't take your joy. And that is why through the ages, you go read Fox's book of martyrs, and you'll read of martyrs being burned alive at the stake. Singing songs of praise to God. They knew, you take my life, go for it. Make my day. Because I've got Jesus. You can take everything, but I still have Jesus. As Laura and I talked about this sermon today and we're thinking about joy, our hearts and minds were drawn and she mentioned a couple of names that were perfect examples. Some of you may know the name Corey Ten Boom. Right? The hiding place. Young lady who, with her family, um, were taken by the Nazis and she endured years of, of imprisonment in Nazi prison camps. And yet she did it with joy. Not always with joy, but it was her hope that kept her going. Another story was the story of Gracie and Martin Burnham. You may know the story from back in 2001. They were taken captive by a terrorist group in the Philippines who took them into the jungles to escape capture. And they were dragged all over the place through that jungle. And Gracia tells of how her dear Martin, every day, celebrated his joy in Christ and tried to encourage her in Christ. Tell just a short time before they were finally released and, and got away that Martin died. Martin died a joyful man and he entered into unspeakable joys forever with his Savior. Why? Because he knew his Savior here and he knew his Savior would be with him for all eternity. Those are stories that can impact your life. If you don't read biographies, man, you need to. At least listen to them. Read the stories of saints who endured unspeakable difficulty and had joy, not because the circumstances were so great, but because their relationship with God was sure. They were confident in that truth. Don't keep placing your hope in what is passing. Don't let circumstances destroy joy. And I'm as guilty as the next person. It doesn't take you long on a home improvement project for me to get upset. And yet, you can be so easily reminded, this doesn't matter. This is, this is passing. This place is going to break down. It's this world is breaking down. I can't let this get me, get me down. My health. Folks, your health is going to go bad at some point. Unless Christ comes and takes you home with Him, your health is going to go bad. But are you confident in your relationship with God? Your finances, you're not going to have that money forever. No matter what your financial advisor tells you, one day you will leave it behind one way or another. You can't put your hope in finances. Don't put it in your relationships. Not even in your marriage. Because your wife, your husband will definitely let you down. They're human beings. We need to find our hope in that relationship that will never change. You see, Jesus comforted the disciples with that confidence of an ongoing relationship. He was going to die, but they would see him again and he would see them again. You see, he encouraged him with that. But when the coming events passed, the disciples 
they understood. He comforted them now, but later they would understand. And look at what verse 23 says and following. And that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Time out. Because that's a little confusing. You're like, wait, I thought Jesus is ever interceding before the Father, right? I thought he's there. And you're right. But he's highlighting a very distinct point right now. Okay, so here's, think of this, and then as we finish reading it, read it with this understanding. What he's saying is, I'm not physically going to be here for you to ask me questions like you're doing right now. You can't, you won't be able to ask of me. Okay? But here's the good news, you're not going to need to, because you have direct access to the Father. You'll be able to say, Father... And make your request. You'll be able to say, Father, I don't understand. Help my unbelief. Help me understand. And the beauty of it is, is that it's rooted not in us, but in the Father Himself. It says, for the Father Himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. You see, so now he's back to the ascension. He's talked about the resurrection and his death and now he's talking about the ascension. He is going back to the Father. But the beauty of it is you're not going to see me any longer then. But you'll be known by me. You'll be seen by me. And, and, and you can have confidence in your access to the Father. That's why you can have joy, not only because you have an intimate knowledge of Jesus and be known by Jesus, but also you believers can have joy because we have full access to the Father. Up to now, the disciples have been asking lots of questions to Jesus, right? Lots of annoying questions at times of Jesus because he's been right there. But the time's soon to come when he won't be there. So think about it. It's one thing to be sitting there with Jesus... And asking him questions. They can see him and talk to him. They sort of see him just be a man. And yet know that he's far more than that. But think about this. He's saying to them. Okay guys. Just as you've talked to me. You can stop talking that way to me. And now talk to the eternal father. Right? And the disciples. I don't know if they get this. They act like it in a moment. But that's an amazing thought. I hope that in your devotions, as you come to thoughts like that, sometimes you just stop. Take the glasses off if you have them and go, wow. Are you, I can have direct, right now, I can talk to the creator, father, sustainer of the universe who sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross, who loved me so that he would go to that extent I can talk with him. I can ask questions of him. Silly questions like the disciples. Yeah. I can. That should blow us away. And it should give us joy to go, wow, then there's nothing that I can't ask. There's no, nothing I can't bring to him. 
in Jesus' name. And why can I do it in Jesus' name? Because you see at the cross, at the cross, what happened? When Jesus died, what happened to the veil in the temple? It was rent in two from the top to the bottom. To say, you have full and unfettered access to God. Why? Because the Father of the, it was rooted in the Father's love who sent His one and only Son to finish a work that could only be done by His one and only Son. You see, our access to, to, to the Father is rooted in His love, not in our performance. Our access was opened by Jesus' work. You're going to have to write fast, by the way. Your access was opened by Jesus' work. We have acts, we have, it's rooted in God's love, but Jesus was the one who opened the door for us to have peace with God. The temp, the, yes, the veil was torn in two, but we have to come to Him in faith, believing in His Son, that we, in His finished work on the cross, that we can have peace with God and have access, full access to the Father. That should bring joy, at least in Jesus' mind. Did you catch what He said? In, in terms of what that should mean for us in verse 24. Asking you will receive that your joy may be full. Why? Not just that you can ask anything, but you can ask anything of the Father. Does it mean that Jesus doesn't intercede? No, He still intercedes for us. But is He, do we somehow have to appeal to Him, to appeal to the Father? No, we come to the Father in Jesus' name. Why in Jesus' name? Again, because of His work. It is only based on that that we can come to the Father. And so we appeal to to God saying, I have no merit. I don't come to you because I deserve to. I come to you because you've expressed your love for me and you've called me your own. And And I know that to be true because of Christ's finished work. And I appeal to His work in Jesus' name. And I bring these requests. That's, that should bring joy. And yet I think maybe that's why prayer isn't such a big deal to us. Because we don't think through what it really fully is. It is an amazing thing. It's an awesome thing. It's a, it is beyond our understanding. But yet Jesus says that access should result in our joy being full. Now does that mean every single thing we ask? Man, let's start asking, buddy. Okay, I want a Hummer. No, I don't. Those things are ugly. Um, I want... We start listing... No, that's not what he's saying. Because later we find that we need a little help. And that's a beautiful thing. This isn't mentioned here, but I think it's worth noting here that not only is, is our access rooted in the Father's love... In Jesus' work, but also it's, we have a, a very wonderful helper. We have access that is helped by the Spirit's assistance. Romans eight twenty six through 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. How? According to the will of God. You see... We're, we're pretty fleshly. We kind of don't always know what to cry out. We don't know exactly what God's will. We strive to pray according to God's will in Jesus' name. But ultimately we say, Lord, we want your will. That's what it is to pray. When we pray in Jesus' name, we want it according to the Father's mission and according to his will. And the Spirit helps us. He gives us assistance. We, we don't always know. 
And so we, we can have the beauty of our access, not only being rooted in the Father's love by the this work of the Son, but with the help of the Spirit. The Trinity wants us to have access full and unfettered. That's pretty crazy. I think God wants it to happen. Don't you think? That He wants us to have that relationship with Him? We ought to be rejoicing. We ought to have full joy in that. And between that knowledge of being loved by the Father and that access, it should affirm the heart of every believer. Well, look at how the disciples respond to this teaching. They responded with, hey, you speak plainly, finally. Okay. Well, you can understand Jesus has taught many things and some in parables, but this isn't in parables. But they still are, I think, somewhat confused. They don't have full understanding, but for whatever reason, they're getting this. They think, you speak plainly. Now we know that you know all things. I'm not sure what it was out of this that confirmed that he knew all things, except that he was telling them what was to come. Right? He's speaking fairly plainly and confidently of what both was to happen as well as the results for them. And so they go, whoa, you speak plainly. Thank you. Now we know that you know all things and we, you don't need anybody to question you. What do they mean? Are they being sassy with this? Like, ah, finally, <laughs> we're sure that you don't need. They're saying you're, you're plain enough that our questions are answered. Okay. But they still are kind of missing it, and you'll, you'll appreciate Jesus' response in just a moment. And then it's, uh, they say, this is why we believe that you came from God. Simply put, we get it, they didn't. And we believe. They did what they understood. They got it to some degree, sort of like us, right? We get it, and then we grow in our getting it, and we grow in our belief. That's called progressive sanctification. We, we grow in our knowledge of Him, and we grow in our belief, and by growing in that, we grow into to likeness of Christ. And, and that's the disciples. But Jesus' response to the disciples is a little bit surprising. He didn't go, oh, good, finally, yes, you guys were good, I'm out. Okay? That's not what he does. Look at what he does. He kind of puts them in their place, but understand, this has been the cycle. They, they, their questions, questions, belief, questions, belief, doubts, arguments, all the stuff that came, and it's this cycle for these guys. Ah, we got it! Oh, no, we don't. Oh, we got it! No, we don't. And so Jesus isn't like, oh, you know, this is a final thing. Look at what he says. Here's the disciples' response. Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and we do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? That is a little bit like, oh, three years it took you. You've seen all that you've seen and now you believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Or it could even be taken, now you think you believe. Because then look what he says, the hour is coming, indeed it has come. Why do we say it has come? Because Judas is out betraying him even as we speak. It started. It has begun. When you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. 
I have said these things to you that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus didn't sugarcoat his response to their proclamation of we believe. He didn't say, oh, good. Instead, he responded with a little bit of righteous indignation. Now you believe? But he also responded with an an honest evaluation. And what did he say? He said, you guys are going to be scattered. You are confident in your belief right now, but you're going to scatter. So put your confidence in something else other than just your understanding, whether you get it or not. Because sometimes you'll get it and sometimes you won't get it. Put your confidence in something far greater. You're going to scatter. Here's something you can take to the bank, though. You can take the Father and His commitment to me as His Son to the bank, the eternal bank. You catch that? Otherwise, why is He saying this? Why does all of a sudden He start talking about, oh, you're going to scatter, but the Father's not going to scatter from me. He's still with me. Okay? He says, I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Yeah, the Father loves you. You have full access, but you're going to scatter. But you know what? I'm still on mission. I'm still, I'm still moving forward. And I ultimately will ascend to be beside the Father in the throne of heaven. He wanted them to be confident in the certainty of his relationship with the Father. And in the final outcome. And what is that? That I have overcome the world. Yes, you will have tribulation. Yes, you will face this stuff. But you can have peace. That is why we can have peace. Not because we understand it or we get it or because we're strong enough to make it through. But because of his standing with God as this very son of God and his victory. Remember Gracia Burnham that I talked about moments ago? The, the kidnapped victim of, over in Philippines? She wrote about her understanding of this peace while after, after coming back in her book, um, In the Presence of My Enemies. When you stop and think about it, the Abu Sayyaf, which are the terrorist group that kidnapped them, are not the only bad guys, are they? We all have pockets of darkness inside ourselves. Recognizing how much I carry inside of me was one of the most difficult parts of my entire ordeal in the jungle. I already knew I was a sinner, of course. It's one of the first things I learned as a child in Sunday school. But I was also a missionary, a pastor's daughter, a lifelong good girl. Weren't people like me supposed to be able to react to adversity with strength and kindness and courage? Why wasn't I showing more of those traits? I begged the Lord at times, please just give me some peace. I can't find it in my own heart. I can't find long-suffering. I feel anything but gentle right now. Please work some gentleness into my life. Give me joy and peace in the midst of this horrible situation. And he did. You see, it wasn't within her. You can't bring it up from within. It's from him. It's our confidence in him in which we can find peace. You see, we can have peace because we know the final outcome. That's Why we can have peace. Why do we know the final outcome? Because God, Jesus Christ himself has ascended to heaven. And he sits on the throne of heaven, risen Savior, coming again. And we can have confidence in him. In his sovereign goodness. In his sovereign working. You see, the peace of God is both positional and practical. It's positional in this. That's when we're saved, right? As believers, we can have peace with God through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
His finished work on the cross. But you're going to have to be fast. Because we've got positional, practical, and we've got the peace with God. But we've also got the peace of God. And that's much of what he's talking about right here. He wants us to not only have peace with God. He wants us to have the peace of God. So that when we're going through the trials and you've had a week like a brother Jim Schwartz has had. He hates me pointing this out. You can have the peace of God. Not because you feel so great. Not because the doctors are so great, but if you go to each one of you, and, and, we, and, and the Volwinkles over the past six weeks or so of trying to find a home, you can have the peace of God, not just because you have peace with God, but because you know that He's not only superintending over your salvation, but over your ongoing sanctification, and that He's using all things, working all things together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose, and I can rest in that. Because I know ultimately, if you go to the verses right before that, that he, just as sure as I'm redeemed and saved, that ultimately I'm going to be glorified. And I can go, you know what? I can get through the trials of this life because he's got it. He's possessed the victory. He has conquered the world. And we can rejoice in that. Abiding peace is the result of resting in God's promised victory over the world. We're more than conquerors, but not because we've conquered anything. Or because we have the power to beat the world. We haven't, and we don't. It's only because He overcame the world and made us His beneficiaries through faith in His victory over sin and death in the cross. You see, today, as we celebrate communion, we celebrate with confidence that He conquered the world he conquered sin and death and that he reigns in heaven above and we rejoice in these that we can have confidence in his victory and that one day he'll return as the conquering king of kings so as we celebrate communion this morning as we celebrate communion we are praising god through these acts of saying god you did this in the past And we have confidence that you're going to do this in the future. And because of that, we have joy and we have peace. And there's a whole lot of joy and a whole lot of peace that we need. And so this morning, as we take the communion elements in a few moments, it is my prayer that you'll see in them the gateway to peace, the gateway to joy, the gateway to to that ongoing eternal relationship with God who is the creator, sustainer, and king who rules and reigns in such a way that I can have a present peace. And I can remind myself this week, when I start to lose that joy and lose that peace, I can get back to it and say, you know what, Schultz, <laughs> it's okay. This, this thing right here, it's okay. And some of those things that we're going to have to say that it's okay to are far harder than some. And some of you have passed through valleys that didn't feel okay. And you're going to pass through valleys that don't feel okay. But he says, yea, though they walk through the valley of shadow of death, they'll fear no evil. For I am with them. That's the hope. That's the peace. That's the joy we have. Let's pray. And then as we pray, our our servers are going to go out. And then we're going to take time here for us to just get before the Lord 
And if there is anything between you and someone else to make those things right, if there's anything between you and God to make it right and to rejoice in Him, to have an unfettered relationship, nothing between, to enjoy this time of worshiping and celebrating our Savior who died, our Savior who arose, and our Savior who reigns on high. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you. Thank you for the gateway to joy and peace through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have given us these reminders from your Word and the reminder of communion to remind us of all that we have in Jesus Christ and all that you've done in your death, burial, and resurrection. May we celebrate this week. May we celebrate in those moments when nobody else is looking and we have lost our joy, we're struggling with peace, and we come back to resting by faith on the promises of Christ. We rest in them and we're brought back to that sense of peace in these moments. And you get the glory and we have wonderful peace and joy in and through Christ. And now, Lord, as we consider this communion before us, I pray that it would be both serious and glorious. That we would take seriously our relationship with you as we're reminded of how you opened the door to that relationship through Christ. But that we would also just be rejoicing that you have. And that you have saved us. You've redeemed us for all those who by faith trusted in Jesus Christ. And may you be glorified and the church strengthened through these moments together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.